Hello, everyone. Welcome once again to Kiv Across Apologetics. I am Patrick. And I'm Tony. And if you've made it uh, with us to this whole book, you're at the end because uh, we're, we're done with this book uh, right now. Uh, so we're uh, uh, kind of doing a, a different thing than what we said we were going to do in the last episode, which was to cover the last chapter. Last chapter is a lot of kind of just covering what he has laid out in uh, a faux dialogue. And so uh, we figured that if you have the book, then you would maybe get benefit of reading it. But um, especially with the last chapter that we did, um, where he's referencing other parts, it's kind of similar to that, but it's just kind of in a dialogue format. So we decided to take a look at one of the appendices uh, that may uh, flesh out a little bit more uh, uh, interesting uh, conversation tidbits, uh, especially in um, kind of who he's responding to. So um, again, uh, all the links for the book are in the description below, and uh, we definitely um, would suggest picking up the book. And the appendices definitely show frame as more of a a um, uh, a statesman of of the written word, and uh, shows you just uh, kind of more of the uh, caliber of. Uh, his scholarship um, as he delves into a little bit more on the the critiques and the the the, the things that you would expect to to say oh you know this uh, why should I care about this well if you're in that type of uh, degree program uh, what have you then you might care a little bit more but um, we wanted to cover Appendix A which is um, his kind of uh, uh, responding to uh, Ligonier apologetics classical apologetics book um, which. Uh, lays out a evidential approach to uh or, or i guess a classical approach to um apologetics so uh, we kind of think this is the, the two-step method the the uh, kind of prove it uh, uh theistic uh god exists and then you slap on um the uh, the resurrection uh to show that christianity is that form of the god that you proved in the second step and what it also does is it critiques Van Til's presuppositional approach. And if you know anything about the history between Ligonier and Van Til, Bonson uh, came and uh, debated uh, very cordially with um, with Sproul, which means that it is possible for classicalists and evidentialists or, and uh, presuppositionists not to tear each other up. Uh, it's a good debate. I, I don't think, I think there's a reason that many people don't talk about it, but uh, I think it's also, it's one of those where unless you care about the subject of the classical versus presuppositional, there might not be that much interest, but this isn't like um, the Stein debate with Bonson, uh, the, but the, this has uh, some interesting points. And so I'll, I'll include the, um, there's just an audio uh, version of it, but I'll include a, a YouTube um, a link for, for the audio. So uh, in appendix A, uh, he talks about how this is uh, originally published in Westminster Theological Journal and that um, it's reprinted here. So um, uh, I think this is uh, reprinted in, in whole. And so um, uh, he, I think he does try his best to kind of include some of the background approach, but this is a, a book review almost of uh, Classical Apologetics by Sproul, um, Gerstner, and Lindsay. Yeah, so he, uh, right, so this particular, this is this is an appendix to, to the volume that we've been going through. And so this is, uh, he has actual several appendices to his book. And so we thought we'd at least look at this one because it may help us to clarify presuppositionalist 
at least in terms of the Vantillian form, are a little better. And um, he says here that the classical apologetics um, puts uh, into systematic form, that is the book classical apologetics, books, puts into systematic form an apologetic approach of considerable interest, says, which up until now had been primarily expressed in popular writings and tape lectures. So he's suggesting that this is, and this book is, came out several years ago, years ago, actually. And so he's suggesting this is one of the earlier systematic approaches to this type of, this classical apologetics, the, as you said, two-step approach here. He says the book is also notable for its critique, as you mentioned, of presuppositionalism, mainly in its vantillier form. So that's, he wants to take a look at this book. He's going to go through this book, and he's going to suggest that there's, yeah, while it's good, there's some issues with it in terms of how it contrasts with presuppositionalism. And, and so he wants to bring those things out. It, it attacks presuppositionalism. Yeah, uh, rigorously, actually, and uh, uh, and some folks would even say mercilessly. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but he's going to fight back, and so we'll kind of see how this <laughs> works out for him. Right, All right. So he says uh, that he'll not discuss the uh, the details of the book's historical studies. Uh, they are interesting and among the book's best features. And in fact, um, the, uh, there's a book that uh, we've gone through that uh, kind of does a breakdown of all the different versions of priests uh, or of, of, of apologetic approaches. Um, that is really good. And there's, there's a lot of good benefit from looking at, um, the historical perspective, um, uh, to that. And, um, I'll include a link to that book, um, below as well. Uh, and so, you know, we, we think, you know, kind of why study church history and, uh, we see the unfolding out of, God using the church to um, uh, have a more complete picture of, of theology, of, of who he is, um, and, uh, you know, th thinking on the things and how to approach things and, and, and uh, order our lives. Because, uh, you know, apologetics, we, we kind of think of like, well, this is just, you know, how you respond to people or how you uh, um, help with the faith of the church, but especially from a presuppositional approach and um, presuppositions would also say, and I think classicalists would agree, is kind of the way that you do apologetics may also do a great deal of informing how you approach um, different subjects, especially I, I, I would think presuppositionalists would, would agree with that wholeheartedly, especially it being rooted in the reform tradition. I think that that probably has a lot of weight. Uh, I, I do know a few people who aren't reformed, who are presuppositionalists, but uh, we kind of get a little sticky uh, as we go down that path. But uh, but um, the historical approach is is interesting to look at, and it is helpful, and uh, uh, probably one of the the top books that we've read on just apologetics in general was was that one. But he goes on to say, uh, but in general, the historical sections argue that a kind of evidentialism similar to the Legionnaire type has been the common view of Orthodox Christians throughout most of church history. Hence, it deserves to be called classical or traditional view. However, it seems to frame that the history of apologetics before our century is ambiguous on these questions. 
And so, uh, you know, you, you, you have both sides of, of this debate wanting to point to scripture or church history and saying, uh, look, th this is how uh, Jesus did it. This is how the apostles did it. This is how Paul did it on Mars Hill. And uh, both sides seem to uh, may put too much in their own camp and frame saying, let's sit back and see if uh, this was the only way to do it. Mm, yeah. All right. So he dives into the book here. <clears throat> Excuse me. And uh, in this particular section, he kind of compares here Ligonier versus Van Til. And he says that he'll try to analyze the author's critique of Van Til before discussing their positive apologetics. So he's going to look at their critique of you know, how they criticize Van Til. And then he's going to spend just a little bit at the very end looking at their particular positive approach to apologetics. He says Van Til's apologetics is essentially simple, he thinks. Uh, however complicated its elaborations might be. And basically, it makes two assertions, he suggests. First, that human beings are obligated to presuppose God in all their thinking. So that's the first assumption that he suggests that Van Til is making. Human beings are obligated to presuppose God in all their thinking. And secondly, that unbelievers resist this obligation in every aspect of thought and life, right? And so we're obligated to, to presuppose God, number one, but secondly, unbelievers resist this obligation. He says the first assertion leads Van Til to criticize the notion of intellectual autonomy, right? So we're intellectually, you know, kind of self-ruling kind of thing. The second, he says, leads him to discuss the noetic effects of sin. And he says that the Ligonier group criticizes Van Til on both of these accounts, right? In both of these areas, which he, he will consider uh, in order. So he'll look first at the obligation to presuppose God in their thinking. And then secondly, he'll spend some time looking at their criticism of Van Til with regard to the unbelievers uh, resisting the obligation um, uh, to uh, presuppose God in their thinking. So that's where he's headed here as he jumps off into this particular uh, criticism of the Ligonier approach. Right. Yeah. And I think this is proper because I think one of the main kind of uh, literal pictures to come out of Van Tillian's philosophy is the creator creature distinction. Uh, it's the, the, the two circles that uh, semi overlap with a line directly down the middle. Um, and uh, we've talked about that one in the past uh, uh, before. And so that, um, uh, model that that uh, a two-point model that that he's saying um ventilian uh apologetics kind of boils down to i think makes uh, a lot of sense and is, is fair to the approach now there's definitely more that we can add to it uh we can talk about tag and everything like that but um as far as uh, the approach goes um i think that's uh especially when you're looking at uh, com uh compare and contrasting uh, that's a that's a good uh jumping off point here all right, so uh, uh, starting off with autonomy, reason, and circularity, uh, which presuppositions are, are known to, to have to uh, deal with all three of these uh, allegations and uh, uh, responses, and I think rightfully so as well, especially um, since uh, a classical approach has, has become probably uh, more of the mainstream, although uh, uh, depending on what areas you run into, that, that might uh, be changing. 
He says, uh, a frame here says here that the initial description of presuppositionalism shows insight in the prominent places given to Van Til's critique of autonomy. That is, he thinks, the foundation of Van Til's system and its most persuasive principles. We must not do apologetics as if it were a law unto ourselves, as if we were to, uh, the measure of all things, right? Because we want to take the biblical approach. We want to take what the Bible says. And if we uh, cut off or add to uh, something that might make us either unorthodox or uh, something that we see against scripture um, specifically, or uh, we don't see it uh, within scripture as far as um, uh, kind of giving too much over to the other side, uh, we, um, uh, we come under that critique, or I think that that's a, a, an area where critique um, needs to occur. He goes on to say Christian thinking like all the Christian life is subject to the Lord's uh, to God's lordship and mm -hmm. classical approach would agree with that as well. Um, but here, uh, presuppositionalist tends to build into that fact uh, from the start where uh, classical approach would say it comes after um, salvation. It comes it, it comes. Uh, it's not as forceful a a selling point to unbelievers where you're trying to meet them on the same level of like, listen, we agree that there's science, reason, uh, logic, and maybe you can uh, argue ethics as well. And so we're going to build on that same platform. And what Van Til says is that, nope, unfortunately, we must build everything under God's lordship and where the uh, Christian has a justification for those things like science and logic and ethics, um, to, to build on that same platform for the other person, well, there's no platform to build on. So why are you, why are you giving them uh, so much that they just claim to know? And so he wants to then take a step back and say, well, let's look at where, where that idea of having a basis, a foundation for if, if it's not built on a justification. Right. Right. And so the issue here is autonomy as he, as you mentioned here, and as he points out, and so where do we start? Do we start with man or do we start with God? Right? And so Ventil clearly says we have to start with God. So um, Frame moves on then and says that the book, that is the Ligonier book's analysis of um, the autonomy question reveals what he believes to be unclarity and misunderstanding. He says the authors of the Ligonier book uh, deduced from Ventil's statement about autonomy that Van Til wants us to start with God, right, rather than with ourselves. And so he says, now start with is, you know, is like a seed or priority or whatever, is an extremely slippery phrase, he tells us, in theology and apologetics. And then it can indicate a pedagogical approach of topics or an emphasis or a method of study or conviction about prominence or importance or perhaps a relation of necessary and sufficient conditionality or a criterion of truth. And so what he says is that he believes that Van Til almost always has the last alternative in mind, that is a criterion of truth, though there is a, you know, he's suggesting Van Til's writing occasionally some ambiguity, all right? right. So the first thing that the, the uh, Ligonier book jumps on is this start with idea, right? And they 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 uh, they want to say that you you can't have the unbeliever do that. And Ventil wants to say, well, they have to. Everybody has to have a starting place. And so you 
from an apologetic uh, perspective, you have to start with God. Well, Frank says, what do we mean by start with? And so we need to be clear with regard to what we mean by that. And uh, he says that's a source of uh, misunderstanding from the Ligonier folks. Uh, when I was learning debate, the first thing that we learned about was defining your terms in order exactly. to have a debate. And so this is this is something that uh, I think we struggle with in today's uh, uh, expressions of of in certain areas of debate where we're talking past each other, we're not talking clear enough, and that happens from both sides. And also, you can take the non-charitable approach in order to win points from the <laughs> the the internet at large, I guess. And so. Um, at least here, uh, in in book form and written form, um, it seems to um, be the case that uh, the definition of the term uh, can be more easily expressed and more easily stated, and that we don't conflate them uh, as we go go through and, and start with uh, start with our our argumentation. So even there, start with is from a, a beginning point. So right. uh, different right. than criterion <laughs> for truth points. Right. And notice <laughs> this is a, a temporal start with. Right. This is he says it's the criterion of truth. That's what he's talking about with regard to starting it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and we see this uh, with uh, institutes uh, by Calvin. Calvin starts with man at first. And that seems to be a, a, a bizarre thing for for Calvin uh, to, to, to do. Uh, but I think um, as uh, uh, Josh from Anarchist Bible Study has written in our comment section below, which uh, I always appreciate those comments is, uh, uh, it seems that uh, Calvin is starting with the, uh, the um, formation of his book as it models uh, Roman, the book of Romans. And so there Paul starts with, uh, you know, a, a not not so much with God specifically, but with people, and then uh, talks about census divinitas and moves moves on from there and and builds up to God. So even there, uh, uh, we see a starts with where you could say, oh well, you know, Calvin had this, this high view of man that he he uh, said we could you know know all these things through this this uh, divine sense of 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 natural theology, and so clearly uh, Calvin is this natural the uh, theologist like. Uh, uh, you know, um, uh, certain Roman Catholics. And so uh, you would say, well, probably not. So uh, there, the the starts with that he has uh, seems to model something uh, that Van Til, um kind of uh, takes and run, uh, runs with as well of talking about, um, yes, we have to start with ourselves because we're, we're it, we're, we're, we're the thing to, to know things. And so how do we, how do we have an understanding of um, the ability to use our senses and our uh, to use words and to uh, you know trust our our thoughts that we weren't born you know five minutes ago. Well, there we have to say okay, um, we start with ourselves as in temporally, but ultimately our starting point criterion for truth is with God, who gives us the ability to to know things, to do science, to do logic and ethics and stuff like that. So again, s starts with uh, can be misconstrued from from. Um, either way. All right. So one of Van Til's views, uh, the the self is the is uh, the self is the proximate, but it's not the ultimate starting point. What this means, uh, Frame thinks, is that it is the self that makes its decisions, both in thought and in practical life. Every judgment we make, we make because we ourselves think it is right. But this fact does not entail that the self is its own ultimate criterion of truth. 
Again, there's the temporal versus criterion for truth. We are regularly faced with the decision whether we should trust our own unaided judgment or rely on someone else. There is nothing uh, uh, odd or strange, let alone logically impossible, about such a question. It is entirely normal, it says. Good. Yeah. And so he says there are two questions then to be resolved. First, the metaphysical, and he says it's actually a tautological <laughs> issue of the question, whether all decisions are decisions of the self. So that's the first question. And secondly, the epistemological ethical question of what standard the self ought to use in coming to its decision. And he says Van Til and the Ligonier group agree, he believes, on the first question, though it's not as much of interest to Van Til, <laughs> but that agreement does not uh, prejudice the answer to the second question. The, the one still needs to be posed and resolved, he believes. And so it is the second question he suggests that Van Til and scripture is concerned about, right? So the, the second question, not necessarily the metaphys metaphysical issue of, you know, whether all decisions are the decisions of the self, but the epistemological ethical question, right? That's the one that Van Til, he suggests, focuses on, and he believes scripture does too, right? Scripture regularly, he tells us, calls God's creatures to submit their judgment to that of their creator. So there's the focus on that second issue, that second question, the epistemological ethical question. Right, right. The the uh, Job, were you there when I laid the foundations? Uh, that seems to be a, an epistemological. Uh, you know, do you know? Uh, do you know how this uh, universe was ordered? Do you know in, in the way that uh, I designed it? Do you know um, th that uh, you um, have the? Uh, you don't have this ability to say, well, you should have done it a different way, or you should deal with me in a different way. You weren't there. You're not me. You're not uh, ordering it after. The decisions that i've made and so uh that's um that, that tends to be the focus of where uh van Til is uh is wanting to to get to uh because that undercuts uh not so much the the debate but it's the justification for having the debate and so it, again it takes that step back and says well how do you know knowing things or uh, uh believing these things so the same sort of distinctions need to be made in the discussion of human reason, another topic uh, prominent in this book. Classical apologetics is rationalistic with a vengeance. <laughs> the author says that just as we cannot avoid starting with ourselves, so we cannot avoid the use of reason in area of life, particularly apologetics. This is familiar argument that some basic principles of reason, such as the law of non-contradictions, which is always a favorite, must be presupposed in any intelligible discourse. Indeed, the law of non-contradictions is a universal, universal prerequisite for life. You can't question logic without presupposing it, and you can't argue against the primacy of logic without presupposing it as primacy. Why? Because as soon as you answer the question, uh, or start to answer the question, why is this the case? Once you say because, guess what? You're in logic form right there. Okay, so he says our authors support the principle of the primacy of the intellect, right? And uh, he says this does not mean that the intellect is more excellent than God whom the intellect discovers. Rather, rather the primacy of intellect means that we must think about God before we can actually know him. And thus, he tells us when Van Til speaks of 
a primacy of the intellect based on their creator-creature distinction. He seems to be talking nonsense to these, uh, you know, the, um, the classical Ligonier approach uh, from their perspective. But here, as with starting point, some distinctions must be made. Intellect or reason can mean various things, laws of logic, the psychological faculty by which we make judgments and draw inferences, the judgments and inferences themselves, systems of thought. So again, uh, I, I, I kind of uh, hit with this well because when um, we talk about uh, Austrian economics in, in my, my circles, we talk about uh, uh, people having uh, 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 praxeology or or forethought of decision and so it's like oh well you know people make the the uh, always make logical decisions it's like no it's not that people make the psychological logic decision it that they make rational decisions based on their desires which could be wrong which could be ill-informed or wrong so uh oh i, I know all red cars have uh, better gas mileage so i go to the dealership <laughs> i'm only going to be looking at red cars and so that's where I'm going to put my money into because subjectively I value red cars more than I do the money that's in my bank account because I want the better gas mileage. Just because it's not uh, uh, a, a good starting point doesn't mean I'm not logically thinking it through. And so this has that kind of si same type of flair to it as well of, of, of making sure we're talking about um, intellect or, or, or reason. Well, it is certainly true that reason as a psychological uh, faculty is involved in any rational activity, thus putting it tautologically uh, emphasizes the obviousness of the point. It is the same sort of obvious we saw earlier in the proposition that one must start with self, but just as starting with self leaves open the question of what criterion of truth the self should acknowledge. So starting with reason, right? So starting with self, starting with reason, he's drawing the line here, leaves open the question of what criterion of truth human reason ought to recognize. So, right. and so there's of the issue truth. of the criterion of truth, exactly, right? right. So he says Rantel, yeah. Or, he uh, says Rantel um, may and does grant that reason is involved in all human thought and life. But for him, the important question is what criteria of truth, there it is, ought our reason to acknowledge? He says reason is always involved in the human search for knowledge. Right. But reason must always choose its standards, and that choice is fundamentally a religious choice, he tells us, right? And so our authors, he says, that is the, the Ligonier folks and classical apologetics, have therefore failed to show that Van Til abandons rational arguments and proofs and evidences. He does abandon neutral or autonomous reasoning, and that's all he abandons. And he notes in, um, in classical apologetics that um, you know he is—he's uh, not wrong in um, in rejecting these things as they suggest he, he is. Right in the book. Yep. Well, it is quite impossible to argue for Christianity or anything else for that matter without making a presuppositional choice. One cannot reason without criteria of truth. So. Uh, you know, you kind of ask that, that uh, same old question, by what standard? Well, uh, you know, where did reason come from? Well, it's just uh, baked into the universe. And uh, if, if I could uh, scoop up a, a, a glass of, of ocean water, uh, reason is there. And so I, I can't I can't seem to measure it. I might not have the right tools, but it's either physically there or it's somehow 
uh, in the ether. Uh, uh, there, there's definitely no mind out there to 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 uh, think those things. There's no there's no uh, floating brain with with a mind, uh, but it's it's just it exists or. It's just a, a convention of, of conversation that uh, evolving uh, bacteria that just is more uh, multi-celled uh, th- that we are um, seem to be bumping into each other. And we um, have the reasons for our, our reason just as a, uh, uh, a conventional uh, thing, but it's, there's, it's not baked into the universe. So we just uh, kind of have this uh, uh, false facade of uh, thinking that reasoning is important. Or uh, it comes from the mind who created the universe and instills within it, uh, who, who has always existed, who still exists and exists outside the universe, but also uh, does bake it into the universe because we are made in his image and we think after the, those things after God's thoughts. So those tend to be kind of the three main ones that you're going to uh, deal with there. Well, to say this, uh, to, to say that uh, one cannot reason without criterion of truth, to say that uh, is the, that uh, argument for Christianity will always be, in one sense, circular. Arguments for Christianity must be based on Christian criteria, which in turn presupposes the truth of Christianity. It has to happen because, again, we talk about this, it's the ultimate standard. Well, okay, but why do you believe that? Well, no, I can't give you a reason for why I believe that because that's my ultimate standard. If I if I go past that, then I'm saying that would be my ultimate standard. But I, I can't. You're, you're asking me for uh, 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 before zero mark, and I can't give that to you. I'm, I'm here, Here's my, my primary... Uh, uh, reason. You can't prove God without presupposing him. This is one of the principles of Vantillian apologetics that most irritate the, the authors of the book. To them, circular reasoning is a logical fallacy, pure and simple. There's there's nothing to debate about it. Circular reasoning, that's all you have to say and move on from there. And unfortunately, after since this book was written in 1984, uh, that's only gotten more and more um, uh, the, the case. All right, so you screen circular reasoning, and then you can dismiss the rest of what it has to say. Right. And so uh, Frame tells us, does this circularity entail the death of all reasoning as the Ligonier authors fear? And he doesn't think it does. He says, first, all reasoning, Christian, non-Christian, presuppositional, classical, whatever, uh, in this sense, is circular. There is no alternative. This is not a challenge to the validity of reason. It's simply the way in which reason works, right? How do you prove that, uh, you know, that how do you justify reason? Well, you justify it by reason. Well, that's circular, right? right. How do you justify your sense experience? Well, you have to justify them by your sense experience. Well, that's circular, right? So that's just the nature of case with regard to some of these basic ideas. And so first he says all reason. Right, it is circular. Second, he says there are distinctions to be made between narrow circles, you know, something like the Bible is God's word because it says it's God's word. That's kind of a narrow circle, <laughs> right. which we would suggest is probably at least bordering on a fallacy, right? Right. And broad circles, the ideas, for instance, uh, evidence interpreted according to the Christian criteria demonstrates the divine authority of Scripture. And here is that evidence. He says, not every circular argument is equally desirable. Some circular arguments, indeed, he says, should rightly be dismissed as fallacious. Well, that's the second point. First, all reasoning is circular. Secondly, 
there's different kinds of circles, right? Not big ones and little ones, (laughs) but narrow ones, he said, and broad ones, right? Or virtuous circles and vicious circles, we might say. And then thirdly, he says, reasoning on Christian criteria is persuasive because, and he gives us three reasons why. First, it's persuasive because it's God's approved way to reason. Secondly, it's persuasive because it leads to the true conclusions, right, that God indeed exists and loves us and Savior and that stuff. And thirdly, everyone at some level already knows that such reasoning leads to truth. And he uh, references Romans chapter one. Yeah, those are those are good reasons. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next time. See you next time.